Hello and welcome to the Combat and Classics Podcast. This is Brian Wilson in Dallas, Texas. Shiloh Brooks at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And I'm Jeff Black from St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland. We are back with book 10 of The Iliad, and Shiloh is going to give us an overview, and Jeff's going to get us started with an opening question. Over to you, Shiloh. Yeah, book 10. Uh, it's a... Um... It's a special ops book, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, what you get are the, uh, the Greek uh, heroes are asleep and somewhat uh, uh, discouraged by Book Nine's uh, account of uh, Achilles' refusal to come fight. And so Agamemnon and, Men- and Menelaus wake up and they meet and they decide that they want to wake up all the other heroes too. And so it's like this amazing Avengers Unite moment where you get all the heroes coming together for some massive thing. Um, And uh, so they wake up the others, uh, they convene, and um, they're trying to figure out their next move. move, And they ask Nestor, Nestor says, well, we should send a spy group. And so uh, they take volunteers, and lo and behold, it's Diomedes and Odysseus. And so they volunteer to go and see what's going on on the other side uh, with the Trojans to go on a kind of uh, special forces uh, mission, just the two of them alone. And so they go, they're armed, they see a a promising sign from Athena, and so they take heart and take courage. And then the camera sort of switches over to Troy, and Hector uh, is thinking that the Achaeans might run, he's not really sure what they're going to do. And so he also sends uh, or calls for a special forces mission uh, with this fellow named Dolan, who uh, he takes uh, and he, you know, suits him out. And he says, you know, if you can go and see what they're doing, uh, I'll give you Achilles horses and his chariot and all all these extraordinary rewards. And so um, what happens is that these two special forces missions cross paths and Diomedes and Odysseus intercept Dolan. And um, they sort of, you know, shake him down for everything he knows. And it seems like he thinks he's going to get to live. So he tells them, you know, the Thracians are over here and they're kind of vulnerable. And, you know, that sort of they've got these extraordinary horses. Um, and then uh, Diomedes cuts his head off, <laughs> so, uh, which is a kind of a stunning, uh, stunningly gruesome and beautiful thing. Um, and then uh, they go to the, the camp, the, uh, Odysseus and uh, Diomedes, they go to the Thracian camp, they find it, they kill, uh, they've just killed Adolan, now they kill 12 soldiers in addition to their king. So 13 people at the camp while they're asleep. And they take the horses, they take the chariot, um, and they go back uh, to the, the Achaean side, they take Dolan's armor, um, they go back to the Achaean uh, camp, and it really is a morale boost for everybody, and they're greeted with uh, with some enthusiasm by their comrades. Yeah, thanks, Shiloh. I'm glad that you started out by saying how much you love this episode. Uh, I love it too, and I am starting maybe just this time to have doubts about my love. And so that's what I want to ask you guys about. Um, I'll give a little preamble by saying there's a kind of asymmetry between the two special forces operations. So on the one hand, we've got two people. On the other hand, one. Uh, The two people are very impressive heroes from the Achaean side. The one um, who comes from the Trojan side is uh, not impressive. Uh, He's uh, not very good looking, although he is a good runner. He's very fast. The missions are asymmetrical. So uh, the Greeks uh, say to themselves, oh, there are a couple of things. We could do something... uh, to the Trojans, like kill some stragglers. 
and we could also get some intelligence. What are they up to? Are they going to attack during the night? Um, on the Trojan side, it's just get some intelligence. Are the Greeks going to leave or are they going to fight? Um, and so that asymmetry is interesting to me. But the thing that really got me this time is just visualizing the spectacle of Diomedes killing sleeping soldiers. And uh, maybe I had a, a moment of um, heroism myself, but I just wondered, are, are we supposed to admire this episode? Is it a beautiful episode? Or is it an ugly episode? And maybe the ugly effect of um, something we talked about in our last pod of Odysseus telling the Greeks, Achilles isn't coming back. He's not going to fight with us. Um, and so is it a sign that the Greeks are, um, they have other heroes than Achilles? Or is it a sign that the Greeks are starting to um, lose their attachment to heroism uh, in favor of a much more down and dirty, uh, pragmatic way of fighting? So that's a kind of crude question. But, you know, I'm just interested, is this beautiful or is it ugly? Or is it both? Well, I'd like to point out that um, I messed up the book nine summary because I included book 10 because I, I was like, I'm going to be really, really ready for this series of pods. <laughs> and so I read all I read the two books three times and got them confused. So <laughs> but this also, it illustrates Agamemnon really likes meetings. Um, but, but in terms of your question, Jeff, on whether or not it is ugly, it depends on what your view of war is. Right. Yeah. If your if your view of war um, is you know a clear a clear day on the battlefield and you know the Greeks sitting on one side and the Trojans sitting on the other and heroes battling um, you know and honor and prizes you know being at stake um, or is it about killing uh, is it about defeating the enemy's will to fight? I think it depends on what your view of war is would depend on what your view of um, of this attack is. And I don't think it's wrong to bring in modern sensibilities um, to a degree and something that we've kind of like more or less agreed on as, as humans is like, hey, don't, don't mistreat prisoners. Um, mm -hmm. I say more or less because it's not always hewed to even though we've kind of agreed so there's that part but like killing people in their sleep like that that doesn't really bother me that much mm -hmm. you know like that's yeah what i i would be ideal like mm -hmm. ideally kill them in their sleep is is what the maneuverist um right in me is saying so Jeff, your 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 question. I mean, this doesn't bother Brian, and maybe this is an indication of his character. <laughs> but your question seems to me to be: Is it moral or immoral? Because you ask whether it's beautiful or ugly, and so you're saying: uh, Is it moral and noble to kill men while they sleep and stab them in the back with your sword, or is that somehow Im immoral or something? Is that is that yeah? How and in fact, understand uh, your question. Maybe if we were not to use the word moral, although I have no opposition to bringing in modern sensibilities, but um, I like the word noble, um, you know, which which is connected to beautiful, right? Um, so, just to give a little bit of background on the on the where the feeling is coming from, um, there's some sense in which they absolutely obviously have to kill people in their sleep. They're surrounded 
by presumably thousands of enemy soldiers, and there are two of them. They're not going to get out of there unless they, you know, kill. Either they could kill nobody and take nothing, or they could um, kill in their sleep. Um, if the enemy wakes up, they're in real trouble. Um, and yet, when we did book seven, we had this um, single combat between Ajax and Hector, and they both disdained any kind of stratagem, right? No feinting, no fancy maneuvering. Instead, hit the other guy right in the strongest point of his armor and try to crush him in broad daylight, so to speak, right? Um, and that was one expression, I think, of what this conflict looks like when Achilles is on the sidelines, right? Our question then was, what are the Greeks without Achilles? Well, they're Ajax. They're this guy who dominates Hector. He's much stronger than Hector and dominates him by just sheer force. Well, here's another answer to what the Greeks are like um, without, uh, without Achilles, right? And, um, you know, may maybe they, they did think they could get a real strategic advantage by killing a few Thracians. Um, I don't get that impression. It's not going to change the tide of the battle. It's a feat that they did. Um, and I'm just wondering what we think of that feat. Is it noble? I mean, I think you bring up the, the, the difference between being noble and winning, mm. right? Because what what has happened in this instance is you have now made the enemy react to you, right? In, in Marine Corps land, we call that gaining the initiative. Mm -hmm. So if you have the enemy reacting to you, if you're making decisions and the enemy is reacting, then you dictate what happens on the battlefield, right? Um, and this is, and, it, and whoever can do it faster, this is the premise of the OODA loop, right? Boyd's OODA loop, which is observe, orient, decide, and act. If you're doing that faster, than your enemy, then chances are you're gonna you're gonna win, mm -hmm. right? So while it might not be noble, you know the Greeks got their ass handed to them the day before. The Trojans are camped out, I think for the first time ever. You know they're on the plane, they're just staying there. They're not going back in the gates. Um, and so it seems to everyone involved that you know the next morning is gonna be bad. Mm -hmm. So. And they're, they're, they're only supposed to go out just to get some information, right? They're just supposed to go out and see what the Trojans' plan is. And then this opportunity arises of capturing someone, getting some information, and then making the decision of, we're going to attack. We're going to attack these sleeping troops. We're going to sow confusion with the enemy. And we're going to try to regain the initiative, which is brilliant in terms of kind of a tactical decision, right? Um, mostly because it works, right? And that's how you decide whether or not something is brilliant. It's just if it works. Um, and, and so this, this works. And so, you know, you have this lifting of the spirits of the Greeks as you bring back this chariot and these horses. You have this confusion in the Trojans as, you know, a general and 12 of his troops are killed, especially like allies, right? Right. So this is a newly, you know, uh, allies that just showed up, the Thracians, um, and it's like, welcome to the battle, <laughs> you know, uh, you're going to get schwacked. You're going to be killed at night in your mm -hmm. sleep. 
you know, that's, that's frightening. Like, you know, I think a lot of people in the military think, okay, you know, if I'm in, if I'm in combat and I get shot or I get blown up, okay, like that's part of it. But like, if I'm just (laughs) sleeping somewhere, you know, in a supposedly secure area and like I get killed, uh, Mm -hmm. or, that happens in the fob next to me. Somebody sneaks in and kills a bunch of people. Like, holy shit. Like, mm-hmm. that was not part of the plan. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. is it noble? Probably not. But I think that raises the nobility as kind of... There's got to be a quote for this that I'm not remembering <laughs> from from yeah. Napoleon or Churchill or something like that. That's like, screw nobility, get it done. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Is, is war an arena... In which there's a distinction between the noble and the and the shameful. I mean, in other words, I can think of civic life, and I can think that in civic life, one doesn't harm one's own citizens, for example, or steal from them. Um, and when one is charitable, you know, that would be a noble thing. And when one, you know, uh, assists and does things that are in a certain way um, self-sacrificial. And so I can see that the concept of the nobility and the shameful, you know, persists in civic life. But in warfare, I mean, and you see both in this book. So like we've seen two heroes from opposite sides fight one another and then like shake hands and make a truce and go home. And we would say, well, that's noble. But then we've also seen them do these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And it's by the way, Hector also sent a spy. And it's not clear what uh, what that spy would have done had he gotten close. And, you know, who knows who he might have stabbed or killed. Uh, he, he was an ugly man, as Jeff puts it. I mean, <laughs> so I'm not sure that the Trojans are any more noble or less noble uh, than the Achaeans insofar as they're both engaging in, uh, in espionage. But I, I guess my question is, you see both the noble and the, the base, as it were, the beautiful and the ugly happening in the book on different occasions and like it's very beautiful domestically when Hector goes and sees his wife and uh, his holds his baby that's a very beautiful thing but I don't and I have expectations for how he's going to behave for instance if he had gone and killed his wife and cut the throat of his baby at that moment because he's talking about how they're all going to die anyway mm-hmm. I wouldn't still wouldn't have thought that was beautiful um, so when he's at home I expect him to operate a certain way but when he's in the battlefield or when uh, Odysseus and others are doing whatever they're doing, I don't have those same expectations. And I think about other Greek literature, like we read Xenophon and his father, uh, Cyrus's father tells him, you got to treat these people like they're animals. You got to hide. You got to, you got to, you got to run them into the, into the corner. You got to fool them. You get them when they're doing the necessary things, when they're taking a crap, you get, you stab them in the back, whatever you got to do. And mm-hmm. so it's it just, I'm just curious whether the noble, beautiful, uh, dichotomy exists within the arena of warfare the way it, the same way it does in domestic life in Greece. I just don't know. So let me mention a few details that just re- fit really nicely with the line of thinking you laid out uh, there, Shiloh. Um, a few books ago, there was an agreement uh, for a truce to bury bodies. And in fact, the, um, the Achaean fortifications are supposed to be built around the funeral pyre that they made um, to burn the bodies, they used the opportunity of the truce and the, the temporary um, peace to build the fortifications as well as the funeral pyre. And yet we hear uh, in this night raid that the plain is strewn with corpses. There are so many of them that all um, Odysseus and Diomedes have to do to let Dolan go past them 
and then catch him is they lie down and play dead. There's so many corpses everywhere, right, that they're not going to stand out. Um, so the bodies haven't been buried. And yet that is one of these um, civic life, um, uh, noble versus shameful issues, right? You don't leave dead bodies lying out there. You bury them, right? You treat them well. Um, both sides, both um, special forces teams dress in animal skins before they go out. And a lot of is made of, the, in particular, the helmet that uh, Odysseus wears, which looks like a boar's head and it has tusks on it. Right? They, they look like animals when they go out. So this seems to be another indication that even if um, war promises opportunities for the most noble actions, the ones that you want seen in the greatest daylight, if I can put it that way, right? the most splendid looking things, it also is going to compel you into uh, things that do not look good in the light. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm just uh, indicating a kind of sympathy for your question. I think there are a lot of indications in this book that um, a kind of story about what war gets you, maybe a story that Achilles is having doubts about, um, is disintegrating for the other Greeks, too. And just, just one more thing in connection with that, which is that um, Diomedes seems to me like the most interesting case here. Odysseus, we know, is um, a clever guy, uh, and he's um, multiple. He has um, concealed ideas. Diomedes seems to want to replace Achilles, and he does all the killing in the night raid. So he seems to me to be the embodiment of whatever is happening to this vision of war as noble. It's it's tricky for me to to understand war as noble in any way, <laughs> you know. Like I, uh, yeah, it, it, it's hard for me to conceptualize that. Like it seems like war is something that happens, but is generally a pretty bad idea, and that this is, you know, it's it's very interesting to me that the the war that is probably i don't know well quantifiably just because this text has been around a really long time um this is the one we study the most like mm -hmm. throughout humanity probably uh and it's the one with arguably the worst reason of any to do it and mm -hmm. so that kind of shines a light on to a certain degree how dumb humans are in terms of our willingness to go to war mm -hmm. um and then it does beg the question of, you know, can you, can you do little things? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't there have to be? I mean, Jeff, is your wouldn't your wouldn't your question have to be bound up with the question of whether what they do, and this goes what to what Brian just said. Uh, are you asking whether Diomedes is unjust? Should he have been just to his enemies instead of unjust to them? No, I don't think I'm asking that. I mean, again, I think I grant that there's a necessity to this behavior, right? If you're going to go out on a scouting party and you're surrounded 
um, you, you know, you have no choice but to kill Dolan, for example. He thinks he's going to be taken hostage, but you have no choice but to kill him. I'm, I'm puzzled as to why he isn't screaming his lungs out as he's running <laughs> uh, from the other two, especially when he knows that they've now got him between um, them and the ditch that the Achaeans um, have made. The only, it seems to me his only hope at that point is to wake up the Trojan forces, right? I mean, maybe there's just too much distance. It never would have worked. But, um, but no, I mean, I, I see the necessities here, but... I, I think that um, there's something in the warrior type, and I just by the warrior type, I guess I'm going to say, let's say Ajax, that scorns those necessities, that wishes that they weren't true, that maybe tries not to see them. Um, and Odysseus seems like the kind of person who's really spent a lot of time in his life looking at them squarely. And then I wonder about Diomedes, who looks like he's got one foot in the Achilles camp and one foot in the Odysseus camp. Can you at once be the kind of person who wishes that the necessities weren't true because they make you feel weak, you're not above them, and who looks them square in the face? Well, that, that seems hard to understand. Um, so I don't, I don't know what's happening to these Greek heroes, especially the younger ones. Um, as when this you conflict say, drags out. Go ahead. Yeah. When you say necessity, I mean, you, you, you responded to me by saying, well, I don't have justice in mind. But then you say there's these necessities. Hmm. When, but by virtue of the fact that they're necessities, it seems to imply that you call them that they're unpleasant things. Hmm. Or they're, and so it's unclear to me what their unpleasantness consists in if it's not some, I mean, I hate to use the word, some sort of moral unpleasantness that Ajax would prefer to meet a man hand to hand and beat each other in the open field and may the best man win. But lo and behold, now we're both, uh, both sides are engaging in espionage and mm -hmm. in secrecy. And, and so there's dishonesty there. And mm -hmm. then there's also killing a man, not on the battlefield when he's facing you with his spear, but he's sleeping in his, uh, in his bed or something of that nature. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if it's not justice, um, what is it? You use the term strong and weak. And so I'm mm -hmm. wondering, well, okay, well, are you trying to substitute strength and weakness for justice and injustice, such that these necessities are necessities or things that a weak man would do? Mm -hmm. But then I can't help but associate um, the weak with the unjust, um, uh -huh. because I think that might be where it comes from. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But, it, but at any rate, so that's why I'm wondering um, what exactly it is that the heroes who would who don't want to engage in this balk at, whereas the heroes who do engage it, like Diomedes, don't balk at. Um, and he's a strong man. He's not a weak man. He's a strong man engaging mm -hmm. in the behavior of a weak man <laughs> at, mm -hmm. at the moment or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm trying to see. And what would the beauty or the ugliness consist and what would the balking consist on, in on the one hand and the, the uh, almost glorying in it uh, that Diomedes does you know, on the other. Well, I think it, it, these these ideas that we're talking about, these ideas of justice and nobility and all these kind of concepts um, are really amorphous, right? Like they're, 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 they're words we use to describe, I don't know, a certain feeling we have about actions, but but they're not descriptive of the actions yeah. themselves right you kind of find out if something's noble or honorable or just kind of after you do them 
right? Um, but in terms of kind of the human animal and how the human animal responds to like fear, um, you, you now have the upper hand to a certain degree, right? Or at least you've clawed back a little bit more um, strategic upper hand in this situation because now these guys that are camped out around these fires are scared, you know? And these other guys that are camped out by the ships are a little bit more hopeful because you've bloodied the enemy's nose. And so, again, it's, it, whether or not it's, it's noble or just or honorable or whatever we want to call it, it seems to work a little bit better in terms of these guys now are going to, the Greeks are going to say, oh, okay, we can, we can hurt these guys. And the Trojans are going, oh, we can be hurt, which is not mm-hmm. what happened when they went to sleep, you know, a couple hours ago. So, and, and this is where it gets tricky in, in trying to figure out a philosophy within war, right? And how it is, I want to say different than civic life because it shouldn't be. Um, like we shouldn't have one set of principles for war and one set of principles for civic life, I don't think. But it is slightly different. <laughs> and um, because violence is an accepted part of warfare and it's not an accepted part of civic life so within that arena that allows for violence um, and determines winners and losers by who doesn't want to partake in violence anymore because they go I give up um, under those circumstances I think it's just really hard to decide if something is noble or just or honorable or something like that and it's purely uh, does it work does the other side fear you more? Does the other side is the other side more confused now? Because those are the metrics, not nobility. Mm-hmm. Well, let me push in in one direction that uh, kind of accepts the the premises that we should be judging by success. Um, and this is a little bit unfair because I'm now going to think about um, book eleven. So maybe it's like a teaser for our next episode, but it's not clear to me how much this does work, right? In other words, um, if they had killed Hector, I think that's an assassination that I would get behind uh, for entirely um, practical reasons. <laughs> um, they can't go into the Trojan camp itself, the people who, with whom they have the genuine beef to the extent that the, the theft of, of uh, the abduction of uh, Helen is still the motive here because the Trojans are guarding themselves. It's only the allies who aren't, and the allies aren't guarding themselves because they don't, in a way, they don't have a big dog in the fight, right? They don't have their families there. Um, so they, they kill these guys who are not the primaries. They steal some horses. Um, they kill so few of the Trojans, it's not going to make a big strategic difference to them. Um, it's not clear that it unnerves the Trojans. It's not clear that it uh, supports the Greeks terribly much, although it's true that they don't flee. Right, Agamemnon was advocating uh, sailing away for all of them at the beginning of Book 9, and beginning of Book 11, the sun comes up and they haven't fled. So maybe that's uh, enough of a psychological boost. But, you know, the effectiveness is not even that considerable to my eye. What there is is, is the beauty of coming out of the night with these horses that nobody can believe. 
could be so beautiful, these, these great horses that they stole from the enemy. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I think I, I wouldn't want to make the argument too strongly, but I am puzzled by it, and I'm starting to doubt my own uh, judgments of it. Uh, and I wonder, I, I wish I could be like the original listeners to these stories, because I wonder what they would have thought of it, too. Well, everybody seems to really like horses. Like that's it's people talk about horses so much, <laughs> and maybe it's just because I'm not a car guy. Like I don't really get it as much, but like I, the way that these guys talk about horses is like my friends that are car people. I just can't stop talking about cars, and I'm like, does it get you from point A to point B? Like okay, um, but yeah, I mean there is. I, I guess you could put it in in a in some way like two dudes decided to fight the Trojan army and they came back, um, with 13 people, you know, 13 casualties on the enemy side and a prize like, whoo, wow, mm -hmm. nice job, you know, on, on some level. Um, and so then, <laughs> right. And they didn't have to, right. They kind of got what they were after and just getting the scoop from Dolan, right. They could have just gone back they could have ransomed him, right. um, but they didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Now, and now, let me just interject. Now that you put it that way, you're reminding me that this is a, a, a trope, right? This is a recurring image in the Iliad. The two guys, I think even Diomedes at one point says, oh, yeah, you all could leave. Me and my chariot guy will stick around and we'll sack Troy single-handedly. And I think later Achilles and Patroclus will imagine... Uh, doing it single-handedly as well. I have a vague memory of that. So this picture of two against the world does have a kind of um, recurring appeal to it. And maybe maybe that's what this looks like, the Night Raid. Well, it's an interesting one, and and, and I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I mentioned this on Book 9. I'll mention it in Book 10. If you, if you read two books, <laughs> these are probably two good books because you'll have a lot of questions and you'll go back to the beginning. But... Um, we're at our time, so thank you, Jeff, and thank you, Shiloh, and thank you, dear listeners. Uh, you can get in touch with us at combatandclassics at gmail.com or through our socials. We're at Combat and Classics. And uh, tune in next time for Book 11. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, guys.